We've always needed God from the very beginning, but today we need him especially. We're facing a new kind of enemy. We're involved in a new kind of warfare, and we need the help of the Spirit of God. Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. And uh, wow, what a difference a couple of days can make in Wisconsin. Amen? From sunny in 75 to snowy in 19. So anyhow, it's good to have you here in a really warm place. It's going to pick up again. I think it's going to be like 60 on uh, our upper 50s on Tuesday. So uh, again, if you don't like the weather in Wisconsin, just hang around. It'll change. Amen? So um, this weekend we are, uh, it's kind of a special weekend for us, and so we're kind of really getting into um, just a single, kind of a single standalone message. I hope that you'll be back uh, two weeks from today. Uh, we're going to launch a new series, uh, and really where this came from was we finished the, the Love and Family series, and last week's message on margin just really struck a chord. I got more responses, more conversations from people uh, that I really view as mature Christ followers, it just said that message really challenged me in a way like I made this change or this change or this change. And just and so um, I uh, just kind of praying and processing, I sat down with with a creative team and just said, hey, maybe we need to kind of call a, an Omaha here. We need to see to do an audible, a little Peyton Manning, and let's just kind of change it up a bit. And uh, instead of I had an entire series on the book of Galatians, had it all mapped out, da-da-da-da-da, We'll do that at a later date. I just feel like this is kind of where we are. So we're going to do a four or five week series leading up to Easter uh, on margin. And, and how do I have work-life balance? How, what, 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 what does that look like? Uh, what, what does it look like to have, to have flexibility and freedom in, in my day-to-day schedule? And how do I have that rhythm that Jesus had? Because again, um, if he's tempted and tried in all manner in the same way we are yet without sin, it's, it's a pretty powerful thought. How do we live that? If he truly humbled himself and took on the form of a man, um, he was contrived and basically constricted with the same things that we are, yet he has this rhythm. And, and his agenda would be no greater than yours, right? He was just going to change the world and save it. And so I know we feel like we're doing that on Tuesdays, but, but I'm just saying that's kind of the deal. And so I'm going to unpack that over a few weeks. And so again, I hope you'll come back uh, March the 12th, that, that weekend. And that Sunday or that weekend, we're giving away free breakfast for a year. Now, tell me, this, can I just stop for just a second? That's like daylight savings, so you kind of lose an hour, so it's kind of an incentive to get here on time instead of us laughing at you as you come in late because you didn't put your clock forward. But what church gives you breakfast for a year? Thank God for, pa- for fat senior pastors. That's all I'm going to say. That was my idea. You're welcome. Okay. So today I want to just talk for a couple of minutes, and, and then we're going to kind of do a conversation. I've got a guest that's going to help me that, that um, literally just flew in from South Africa to be with us today, and then we'll board a plane and go, and just his schedule's crazy. Um, 
but Dr. Gary Sievers, a president of Global University that has around 400,000 students worldwide and a completely regionally accredited program. So the same level of accreditation in the University of Wisconsin is Global University. So top level all over the world. And uh, I'm having him here because I'm talking today about the persecuted church. Because everything we see, and I'm not doing this because of what we see on the news, that we had this planned out, but this immigration ban of seven major Muslim countries coming into the United States has created quite a stir, regardless what side of the fence that you're on. And I'm not getting in the middle of that conversation, just so you know that. Um, we talk about refugees and refugee status, and, and, and we talk about um, immigration in this country, even in the world, because it's, it's what's happened in Syria, it's transformed Greece alone. There, there, there were people that were waking up on their island resorts, and people are literally coming in boats and rafts, and 30,000 people flooded the shorelines, and they did not know what to do with them. Um, and so just outside of Brussels, Belgium, you know, we, there, there are camp, encampments of just refugees that are trying to, to get into England and into Germany and even all over, just trying to get some type of, of, of asylum and some type of safety for themselves and their families. Real, real issues. And so when you look at this stuff, you stop and you think for a minute, what's going on and what should our response be? What should it be as Christians? What should it be as American citizens? What, what, what should it be? What, what, how should we respond? And so what does the Bible say about this? Well, first of all, let me say this. This issue has nothing to do with, with political reform or institutional reform or even, quite frankly, immigration policy or refugee status. It should come of no surprise. It is a, as the Bible will tell us, I'm going to show you in just a second, it's a sign of the times. It's, it's, it's an indicator of, of what season in life that we're in. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, but mark this, he's speaking to Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Moms and dads, it's a good time to say amen. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutals, not brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They'll have a form of godliness, but they'll deny its power. Have nothing to do with such people, Paul tells Timothy. That's the day and age in which we live in. So the condition of the world in which we live is just what the Bible said it would be. It's just like God's kind of in the heavens going, no joke, Sherlock. I knew this was coming. This is, this is the lay of the land. Now, does it break the heart of God? Sure. It does God's heart? Yes. So what's God's solution? So what's the plan? Well, it's pretty simple, and I don't mean to oversimplify it, because I know the issue itself of policy and reform is very complicated, but the heart of the issue is relatively simple. We have this thinking that we are to be someone's savior. We try to help someone out, and if we're not careful, we'll try to step into that place where we're going to become their savior. We're going to redeem them. We're going to save them. We're going to, we're going to pull them out of the miry pit and the miry clay that they're in. We're going to drag them out of the sinful lifestyle they're in. We're going to take them from where they are. And in moments like that, I have to stop and ask myself, am I their savior? Am I their answer? Whether it's somebody that I'm trying to help that I work with, whether it's somebody I'm trying to help that I'm in a friendship with, whether it's somebody I'm trying to help that's lost like a ball in high weeds in sin and they don't even know it, my response should always be compassionate. My response should always be love. But I am not their Savior. They have a Savior, and his name is Jesus. And we lose that in this conversation. 
I'm not saying it's not messy. I'm not saying it's not complicated. I'm not saying that we shouldn't debate it and talk about it. But what I am saying is, is that the Bible says very simply, if the Savior, if, if the Savior is Jesus, if he's the one that Isaiah says will come and bound up and bind up the brokenhearted, he will set at liberty those that are captive. He will be a father to the fatherless and a mother, excuse me, a husband to the widow. He will be the one that will make up the distance. He will be that amazing grace that we sing about today. He will be the one that will give life, not just in the sweet by and by, but in the here and now, according to John chapter 10, verse 10. Then the only thing that you and I can do is allow the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that dwells in us, that's what theologians call the incarnational presence of Jesus, to be in us, and we be his hands extended, and we simply love people. And what's brilliant about this is this wasn't our idea. It's called the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus told the disciples, go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. I don't know if I got this version right, so I get in my head memorized it wrong. Uh, disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what our job is. Our job isn't to tell everybody in the world, come to us. Ooh, don't shut me now when I'm preaching to good. He says, go to them. You know why? Because somewhere in our rhetoric as Americans, it's a very, very arrogant attitude that we have. Like we're the savior of the world. We're not. There have been greater kingdoms. I know this is, this is really amazing. We're a democratic society. I love America. God bless America. Let's just sing some Lee Greenwood right now and get it all over with. But, but I'm saying to you, there have been greater than us that have risen and fallen in the eschaton of time. But there's only one who is truly the king of kings and lord of lords. And what you and I are called to do is not fix every problem in the world. But we are called to go into every man and every woman and every child's world and introduce them to someone that can change them. So instead of being fixated on, go, on, on coming to us, what about going to them? See, God knew that these terrible times were going to come. It's prophesied all throughout the, the, the Bible that these were going to be the end times and that, that there would be all types of, of issues and that the, that the depravity of man would increase and that, and that world leaders would become more and more corrupt and, and the tension and the wars and the rumors of wars and all types of pestilences and turbulences and all the things that are happening in our world today. It's no surprise. It's actually setting up for Jesus to come back. But in order to usher that back, we've got to not tell everybody how right we are and how wrong they are. It's not the judgment of God that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness. But to go and kindness and humility and to love. Go love. And so how do we do that? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. I, I, I want to unpack this over these next couple of minutes and, and talk about this because what I think is According to the scripture, let's just say the Bible's right and that God's, got, God's on to something. Let's just, for the next 20 minutes, think about that. If he's right and that's the way it works, then the church of Jesus Christ that's going into every man and every woman's world around the globe is what's going to make the most, long, most reflexive, sustainable, life-changing, eternal, significant difference in someone's life and in some country. So what I've asked is I've asked Dr. Gary Sievers to come today and to kind of just, he's in these countries. 
because Global University is in these countries. And most of what we're partnering with is a local church with planting churches, developing leaders, and compassion ministries are all happening through. And Global is one of those major initiatives. So I'm going to ask, would you give a really great welcome to Dr. Gary Sievers as he joins me on the platform today and we kind of have a conversation? Thank you, Aaron. God bless you. All right, Dr. Sievers, have a seat there. Okay. Now, I'm going to get this right. Dr. Sievers, first of all, he's been a missionary for 25 years. I know he only looks 25, but he's been there 25 years. And uh, you've been the president of Global University since 2010. Correct. And um, you log, I asked you yesterday, you log about 200,000, almost a quarter million sky miles a year. Yes. Which is quite a bit. That's not. That's a couple. Yeah, that's not on a credit card. That's actually in the seat. And then... um, and, and so right now, Global University is in 160 countries in the world, yes. 35 of which will be what we would call persecutor-sensitive, kind of closed countries. Yes. So the gospel's making a major difference in these places where, quite frankly, it's almost impossible to do so. And so um, thank you for being here today. Thank you for sharing with us. And so what I want to do is I want to kind of country hop, okay? okay? And I want to hit about six different countries in the world that are what I would call hotbeds for contention with the persecuted church. And I want to talk about what we're not necessarily seeing on the news uh, and, and, what, and really talk about some things that aren't maybe being reported. So I want to first go to India. Sure. So in India, there's 1.1 billion people approximately right now. It's the second largest country in the world behind China. Tell me what's... But you guys are undergoing the greatest church planning initiative in the history of Christianity. So talk to me about what's happening and how that's happening. Sure, sure. In working with the National Church in India, we are working to train 30,000 pastors to plant 25,000 house churches by the year 2020. That's just four years from now. Currently, there's 17,000 people studying, preparing for ministry. Now, planting the churches lags just a little bit, but there are more than 1,500 churches that have been planted in the last three years by those who are being equipped. It is the largest pastoral training, church planting combination initiative since the New Testament in the history of the Christian church because God is moving by his spirit. So is the nation of India just opening their arms to you guys and saying, come? Just we change our world, let's uh, rid ourselves of... Oh, it would be so nice if that was the case, Aaron. But uh, no, in December, I was with uh, the uh, national leader. And I I believe through partnership and faith that this will become a reality. And I told him, in 2020, I'm going to come and I'm going to have the name of every student, the name of the church and where it's located, printed in a book, and I'm going to present it to you at the national meeting. And he looked at me and said, please don't. That's exactly what the officials, what the government wants, is the names of the pastors and the churches across the subcontinent. And I thought for a second, I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will figure out the number of pages it would take and bring a blank book, nothing written on the pages, and hand it to you, demonstrating what God has done. And he smiled and said, that will be fine. Wow. 
So I know that the delivery method right now that you guys are training uh, is on like uh, Kindles or tablets, yes. e-readers. Uh, what's the is is what right now? What is the biggest struggle that you are seeing that you're fa- that you're seeing? Uh, the pastors in these, I mean, that's amazing, 17,000, because I, I think I was at the first big initiative that you we were. did in Scottsdale that was about, about launching this. And, um, and so f- just in those few short years, there's 17,000 uh, uh, that are already enlisted. What's, your, what, 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 what's the biggest issue right now? Uh, probably twofold. Number one, we're delivering this in 10 of the official languages of India, and when we're dealing with electronic, we have to use Unicode, and finding those fonts, getting them translated is a challenge, and it's ongoing to stay ahead of the students who are enrolling. And then getting them distributed, because it's a Again, that's a challenge. And just to illustrate, in in Eastern India, I have a very good friend who works with us, who was with a a leader and says, I would love to come to Eastern India and, and be with your pastors and help encourage people to study. And our our Indian brother smiled and said, that would be nice, but please don't. You see, being an American, if you come to my part of the country, you will draw attention to us and to our pastors and increase the problems. Please just send the training material and we will pass it on and we will study and become equipped and plant the churches. It will be better if you don't come. So the infrastructure is in place. It's just getting the materials to these people and, and, and that so forth and so on. Yes. All right, I want to skip. I'm going to go to the next country. Sure. So we're going to go from India to Cuba. Okay. So we've seen a ton about Cuba. And so actually we've got a video uh, that Global produced that kind of tells what God's doing and, and, and that partnership. So check this out real quick. What you are seeing is a miracle. Four years ago, Global University Cuba did not exist. It was only a dream in the heart of General Superintendent Hector Hunter, a dream to see at least 3,000 Cuba Assemblies of God pastors earn an accredited degree in ministry. Then, miracles began to happen. Aided by 3,000 Kindles provided by Speed the Light, the entire four-year degree program was delivered to Cuba in Spanish, along with evangelism and discipleship materials to help grow the local church. Within three years, student enrollments reached 3,000, another miracle. Finally, the celebration you see here took place during the week ending December 12, 2014. While Brother Hunter didn't live to see our first graduation, he did see the successful launch of the program and his vision fulfilled with the enrollment of the 3,000th student. This is the first of what we believe will be many graduations. 2,600 more Cuban ministers are currently working towards a degree and 400 others are in line to enroll and replace those who have graduated. Each one depends upon scholarships of $1,000 per year. Having witnessed this, and so many other miracles in Cuba, we believe these two will see their graduation day in the near future. Wow. That's amazing. And I, I've been there at that church yes. with you and, uh, and to hear the stories. Uh, and that probably one of the most amazing things to me is that 
Cubans are probably the the most educated Latin in the Latin American countries. Yes. Uh, in part due to the communism, but 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 so most of these pastors that are getting their bachelor's degree uh, through Global have already gotten their. Uh, Engineers, architects, I mean, everybody I meet, they, they've got some other uh, BA or MA or even a, a PhD. And so this is a pretty amazing thing that's happening. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what exactly is happening on the ground, and then, and then how does that differ from what we're reading in the newspapers? Sure, sure, not a problem. You have to understand, each of these students is involved in ministry. They're not preparing for ministry. They're preparing while they're in ministry, planting churches, serving as, as missionaries. In spite of amazing obstacles and challenges, that graduation you saw the day before uh, was having lunch with our national director, and he left the lunch abruptly, early. And uh, I found out later he had been summoned by the government, the minister of religion, who was ready to pull the plug on the graduation the day before and cancel the whole thing. And he was very thorough and had walked it through. He said, but I received permission to have this graduation from your office. And she looked at her assistant who said yes, and then said, but I didn't know it was, to be, was going to be so big. Since that time, we've had two more graduations, 611 students. Graduates have graduated in the last two years and are continuing to study. But what you don't see in the paper is that in eastern Cuba, just in the last year, there was a march of 500 pastors because churches had been bulldozed. They had, a couple had been burned. And they took their Bibles, 500, and they marched to the head of the, the official Communist Party and demanded a stop. No telling how it would end, but they did stop. Uh, it's amazing. Well, there's societal problems and pressures. Just as the embargo has lifted, the embassy has been reopened, unintended consequences. Average Cubans, including peoples in churches, including pastors, have less food now, today, than they did two years ago. Not that there's a drought, but instead, the food is being taken from across the island to the resorts, the hotels, the restaurants, and tourist locations because tourism has increased so much, there's not enough food for the average Cuban. They can go to the grocery store with their vouchers, but there's nothing to buy. Wow. And so that's the reality on the ground. But in spite of that, and we need to pray for them, God is continuing to move by his spirit. Wow. Yeah, I, I've been there several times. I was just there back in the summer, and it was amazing to me the number of Americans that were in. The, the hotels were full, unlike had been before. Mm -hmm. Getting into a restaurant was very difficult. Uh, and, then, and then talking to the local pastors there and, uh, and some of the Bible schools and everything that we were there that week, uh, hearing this. Because you, you, don't, you don't think about that. You, you think, wow, this is great, and this is awesome, and so all this money's going to come in, and tourism's going to come in, and all that's going to come in. And the problem is, is that there's, there's more and more and more oppression. And when you see a video like you just showed us, you almost think like the government is opening its doors to the church. But that's not the case at all. In fact, if you go to a community, you have to understand that on every block of every city in the nation, there's a government informer. And if you're an outsider, even a Cuban uh, from another town coming in, they record 
your name, what time you arrived, who you visited, how long you stayed, and when you left. Wow. And if you are a foreigner, an uh, American, you're under even more scrutiny, and that's given to the, the officials. What is neat is the Cuban churches said, that's a great idea. We're <laughs> going to have a prayer intercessor on every block of every city. Now, they haven't quite done it yet, but they're working to that because greater is he in heaven than he that is in the earth. All right, good. All right, we got go to we gotta okay. go to another country now. All right. Keep me on track. So, Vietnam. Let's go to Vietnam. Yes. Uh, and so, it's still a communist country, yes. but God's doing some amazing, amazing stuff. And I want you to tell some of the stories about uh, the Hmong people uh, in, uh, up in the mountainous region. So, tell us a little bit what's happening. Sure, sure. Uh, Vietnam is uh, amazing. We are able to serve the whole country now. Started in, in southern Vietnam. Uh, was with uh, uh, some churches, some pastors, and, and discovered the church. I was praying in, every pastor has served time in jail for their faith. Every pastor in this one organization. But we got a couple on our staff that need to be, but that's all right. I'm just I leave that up to you. I'm not touching it. <laughs> the Hmong folks, the clans in Northwest uh, Vietnam, uh, very difficult place to uh, reach. Uh, outsiders are really uh, forbidden. I've got a good friend who's ethnic Vietnamese. He is Vietnamese and wanted to go there and they worked it out. And what they did is said, okay, in the middle of the night at midnight, we're going to leave and go. They said, but you can't wear Western boots. Now understand they were going to walk several hours through the jungle. Don't wear boots, wear sandals because the authorities will come along and if they see boot prints, they know there's an outsider and they will track you. And so they went up the mountains, up this dirt road, and all of a sudden the, the van stopped, the door slid open, and he was almost pushed out by his friends and colleagues. They jumped out, the door slammed shut, and the van took off. And they began a several hour march through the trails in the jungles of this mountainous region. And they came to a, a village. And the vast majority of the villages were believers hungry to be trained and equipped. Because there, individuals don't come to Jesus. Whole families, wow. whole clans come to Jesus. So they'd been studying and they did something very unique. They took an iPad, not quite as nice as yours, or, or, or a phone, and when the students took their tests on paper, they would take a picture of that test, and they would send it to st the states. And then after they took all the pictures and sent all the exams, hundreds of them, to the states, they burned the exam papers because they could have no evidence wow. of the students who had studied, what their names were, what their grades were, in existence there. They burn their test papers. Now, I know some students in the U.S. would like to do that after <laughs> a test, but it, for different reasons, just put it that way. They're continuing and continuing to study. Right now, there are far more than 8,000 Hmong studying with Global to be equipped for service, and they put it this way. If you will come to our village and you will train us, we will take the gospel across the mountain to the people on the next mountain. Wow. 
Because these are places, like I've been in Hanoi. I was just, uh, in December, I was in uh, um, Ho Chi Minh City, uh, Saigon. Yes. And, and when you fly in as an American, it feels very much like, oh, this is an open country and everything's fine. But when you go like to um, the Hanoi Hilton, for instance, where uh, John McCain and, and other prisoners of war were there, the, uh, the anti-American propaganda is still very much at large. And you feel this uh, communist type of presence. And there's almost this pushback against you so that really and, and able to equip the, the, the national church there and the leaders that are there to go is, is going to make the biggest difference and change in those cities and in that country. And sometimes even as an outsider, we don't necessarily see that until you begin to have these conversations and do just what you're talking about. Yes. And, and we think everything is great. They, they want the American hard currency, the dollar, but, but you're watched. But if we can equip Vietnamese, they will reach their yes. people with the gospel in areas where you and I are prohibited from going. Yeah, that's true. All right, we got to go to another country now. Okay. Let's go not too far from Vietnam. We're going to go to Burma. Sure. And uh, we've got a video here uh, and just kind of uh, talking about what God's doing. The doors just opened two years ago to the outside world. Mm -hmm. And so what was called Burma, now Myanmar, uh, radical transformations happening. So let's check this video out real quick. So we're here, Life Church in Machina, uh, just 50 miles from the China border in North Myanmar, which is also known as Burma, and here at the Bible College. Again, up until two years ago, we've had no physical U.S. presence or missionary presence, and God has been doing some great things. I'm going to take you on just a small tour of the men's dorm, what God's doing, what needs to be done, and how we can partner with you, Sam, in order to make this happen. Thank, Thank you. you for all that you do and for all that you've done. You. Uh, we, we, we look forward to partnering with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Love you, man. college students here in Machina are bathing, that's the shower facility, toilet facility, everything. What's going to happen is the building you'll see just directly behind me, that's the dormitory that's going to be built. And so that all of this outdoor bathroom facility and restroom facility will be moved inside, uh, and as you can imagine, will be much, much, much better for the students. was the chapel, but because of expansion and growth, this is now the men's dormitory. There are 65 men that live in this space right here. There is a new dormitory that's being built. That's the need. That's the opportunity because there are Bible college students that are yet to come in. And as you can see around me, uh, these conditions are not the greatest nor are they conducive for these men and women that are called into vocational ministry that want to go and literally change this country.
So Dr. Sievers, tell us a little bit more about when, we, when the doors opened for us to be able to go back, we found that the church had not died, but it had actually prospered and grown, but nothing. Everything was like in a time warp, facility-wise and all of that. And the number of young people that, I mean, that I encountered, probably more so than any other country in the world that I've been in, that were called into ministry that literally want to change their nation. Uh, you, you've been there. We, we've had some conversations. Talk a little bit about what's happening here in Burma. Sure. In, uh, in Burma, you have to understand, it is the heart of the Buddhist world, the very heart of the Buddhist world. Mm -hmm. And indeed, during the years when missionaries weren't allowed, they were kicked out in 1966, right. God was moving by his spirit. 16 Bible schools were established. The one in Machina, where you're working and have this project, is the largest and most significant of the 16 Bible schools. But in all these schools, there's a thousand students who are preparing for ministry, wow. preparing to take the gospel not only to, to Burma, but to Southeast Asia. And, and, and that is truly amazing. They, we had a national office in uh, Burma, in the capital city in Yangon, and in 2002, 2003, we had to put it in mothballs because of changes that were taking place. We were invited back to reopen it, to translate our, our undergraduate, our accredited undergraduate to curriculum into Burmese because no such thing existed. And we've done that to fuel the, the knowledge of the word so that the gospel will go across Burma to all the ethnic groups and so that people will be saved, will be discipled, and will be retained to the glory of God. Wow, that's amazing. All right, so we're almost out of time. We've got to go hit one more, one okay. more area of the world, so multiple countries with this one. It's the Middle East. Sure. So this is so sensitive that we can't talk in specifics of countries because it's literally lives are at, at, at risk. But talk to us about this move of God that is happening in conversions, most of which are, I mean, they're all Muslims, na nations, uh, of what God's doing and what's happening. Yeah. It's been under two years, and Pastor Aaron, you were part of that original uh, phone call when uh, we started. What we are seeing is a move of the Holy Spirit that is unprecedented since the book of Acts across the Middle East. And yes, there is an epicenter, and we're seeing God move in such a way that Muslims are, are coming to faith. And they need to be discipled and trained in, in groups. They call them upper rooms after the book of Acts. And <coughs> what it is, is there's groups of eight, up to eight people who gather together and study the word, study global courses st to be better equipped. Only one person from a group knows the name of one other person in another group because of the difficulties. Many meet in mosques. Mosques are open 24-7, seven days a week. And so they can gather and study, and if a stranger comes along, they, they change the conversation from Jesus to something else. And so great things are happening. In fact, because of the purification process and rituals, there's, there's a water showers there. There have been Christian baptisms in mosques across the Middle East. 
God is moving in a, a dynamic way, but it, it, it's a challenge. To be a member of an upper room, there are five things a person must do. They have to be saved. They need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They need to be baptized in water. They need to have shared their testimony with a family member, which is oftentimes more dangerous yeah. than sharing it with a stranger. And then they must engage in, in compassion in their community. And we're seeing it grow. Right now, today, there are more than 5,300 upper rooms scattered across the Middle East. So over the last approximately three years, we've gone from zero to over 5,300 um, yes. upper rooms, Yes, which is amazing. There, there's no church in the state of Wisconsin that has grown from zero to 5,300, or if you extrapolate those numbers over four to eight, multiply that. No church in the country is doing that, and we live in a place where it's completely legal and supported to... Um, to um, share the gospel. Why do you think that the gospel right now, because I'm talking to missionaries, there's one missionary that I wanted to have here that literally would not come because of the weekend service. He will only go in settings where, and I'm trying to get him to come here uh, just during the week, and, but he, everybody's kind of got to be filtered. Mm -hmm. And you and I have been in a conversation with this missionary where we were actually in a restaurant that he refused to talk anytime the wait staff came into the room. Uh, and, um, and so because he's seen more He's been working in these areas of the world uh, for uh, 40 plus years and has seen more people come to faith in Christ in the last three years than ever in, in the entirety of his, of his ministry there as a missionary. And he's given away, I, I want to say somewhat close to 50,000 Bibles that he's been just distributing, literally telling us, hey, we, I just need more Bibles. If you could just get me some more Bibles. It's, why is that happening right now? Because that's not what we see. What we see in, the, in, in a lot of it in the press and the media that we have access to Again, we don't hear these stories. Why is that happening? Why is this revival happening in such basically oppressive and persecuted places? It is very oppressive, very persecuted. To our knowledge, five of the leaders have already given their life for their faith. They've already been Christian martyrs in the last three years. Right. And so very oppressive. I, I don't fully know all the reasons other than it starts with a move of the Holy Spirit as people who are believers totally sell out to Jesus and said, whatever, Lord, I am willing to pay whatever price may be asked of me to share the love of Jesus. And that kind of commitment and dedication has an impact in communities. And I believe that is a significant part where they're willing to live as a believer and turn the other cheek when people offend them. Rather than responding in anger and hatred, which is very cultural, and in vengeance and unforgiveness, they respond in love, and it's transforming people's lives. Wow. 